0: Have you found the book of Galatians, fifth chapter? And follow along as I read, beginning in the 13th verse. For you were called to freedom. Brothers only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite... And devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Go all the way back to verse one, same chapter. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In that verse, verse one, uh, Paul is addressing a problem in the church at Galatia. If you've been here. You know by now what that problem is. We can sum it up in the word legalism. He has been harping on this right from the outset of the letter. We're into the fifth chapter and this issue, this problem, legalism, has been front and center. He knows there are some, a good number, in the churches of Galatia that are beginning to think to themselves that if they really want to be saved, If they really want to be Christians, and if they want to be spiritual, then they must go back and live under the law, the Old Testament law. What we read of, the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy. And Paul really brings his entire argument to a head in this verse. Again, the first verse, hear it. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ has freed us from that law. He has freed us from its curse. Because he has borne the penalty in full. In his body. Upon the cross. When he died on behalf of sinners. He has fulfilled the obligation to obey the law. Because he alone has fulfilled all righteousness. He has lived a life pleased. As a pleasing aroma to his heavenly father. And he has obeyed fully. He has fulfilled all of the sacrifices. He has fulfilled all of the ceremonies. He has fulfilled all of the feasts. They all find their culmination and termination point in Christ. He has set us free for freedom. Don't do it. Don't go back and live under that law and submit again to a yoke of slavery. That is legalism. In verse 13, our text, Paul addresses another problem, potential problem. It's a new one. He has not alluded to this, to this juncture in the epistle. But just as legalism threatens this church, Paul realizes that libertinism also threatens this church. Why? Because again, from the start of this epistle... He has emphasized the believer's freedom in Christ. He has repeated it. Over and over, he has emphasized it over and over that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. When we become one with the Lord Jesus, we have, in effect, fulfilled the law, the obligation to obey it, and certainly the penalty for having broken it. Therefore, we are free. We are free. We are free. We are free. Do not go back and live under the law. He has been striking this note repeatedly right from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through into chapter 5, and he knows. And he knows this because he knows fallen human nature. He knows the wickedness and deceitfulness of the human heart. And he knows how some people might think. They might reason as follows. Amen, Paul. We are free from the law. Therefore, I can live as I please. I can do whatever I want. And don't you dare tell me otherwise, you raving legalist. I am free. I am free. Praise God. I'm free. I can do what I want. I can choose to do what I want. It is open season and no one can stand in judgment over me. It is the spirit of the libertine. And Paul addresses it in the 13th verse. Yes, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, Leviticus 19.18, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Another problem, libertinism. And to understand what Paul is saying here, we must grasp five truths concerning the nature of freedom. Are you with me? Five truths concerning the nature of freedom. Here is the first truth. Freedom. And hear this well. Please learn it if you have not learned it to this point in your Christian journey. Freedom is not the liberty to do what I want. That is not freedom. Sadly, that is what the world thinks freedom is. It is throwing off all restraints, and it is the freedom to do precisely what I want without having to hear what? A condemning word from anyone, whether it be my parents, whether it be my educators, whether it be the pastors, preachers, or whomever. All restraints are gone. And as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I am free to do whatever I want. That is not, it is not, it is not the nature of biblical freedom. Biblical freedom is not the liberty to do what I want. As a matter of fact, this notion that freedom, this, this, this liberty to do what I want It is actually unbiblical. It is worse than that. It is actually diabolical. It is the original sin. In the day you eat thereof, you will be as God. What was Satan appealing to? What was his most basic fundamental argument back in the garden? It was simply this. That fruit, eating of that fruit will open the doorway to freedom. You will be as God and throw off all restraints and be able to do as you please, choose as you please. This is a common notion. You know, we might stand aghast at this a little bit, but we need to face it. This is a common notion among professing Christians today, many professing Christians. This is exactly how they understand Christian freedom. They think it simply is the fact that I now have the right to do what I want, choose to do what I want to do, and there are no restraints, There are no laws, certainly within reasonable bounds. But basically, it's a wide open pathway, if you like. And I can let my heart be my guide. And no one can stand in judgment upon me. And again, anyone who dares to judge me, I can quickly dismiss as a legalist. It's common. It's very common. Examples are always helpful, and so I have jotted down a few examples, a few encounters that I have had over the years with the Libertine. A few examples. And I pray that through these examples, you really get the gist of what I'm saying here and the argument that I am making that freedom is not the liberty to do what I want, and yet at the same time, just how prevalent this mindset is among professing Christians. Here's an example I engaged with a young man a few years back, a professing Christian who was convinced it is okay to smoke marijuana. I can smoke marijuana. Not a problem. It doesn't have that much of an effect on me. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. It never mentions the word marijuana. And how dare you judge me? My relationship with the Lord is bigger than that little Pharisaical world, pastor, that you live in. I'm free. I quoted Ephesians I quoted Ephesians 5:18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And his reply was what? That's wine. It doesn't say anything about marijuana. At that point, I realized I was arguing with a fool, and I shut the conversation down. We are not to come under the influence of any substance, you name it. And yet here was a young man who was guilty of exactly what Paul is forbidding in the 13th verse. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your freedom as an excuse to sin. That's what Paul is saying. Here's another example. I have encountered individuals who have said, look, uh, whether I show up on a Sunday to worship with God's people or not is irrelevant. It's inconsequential. I am free to take it or leave it. And uh, no one dare judge me in the matter. And the fact, Pastor, that you say, well, no, I mean, it is the Lord's day. And we are to be committed to the worship, the public worship of the Lord. We are to be committed to the public gathering of God's people. We are to put ourselves under the ordinances or the sacraments of the church, baptism, the Lord's Supper. No, that's just, again, the little legalist world you live in. And I've come back with Hebrews 10.25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Uh, But you see, this young man, he is living in what world? He is living in the world of the libertine. And he is guilty of disobeying this commandment, verse 13. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not turn Christian liberty into an excuse to do whatever you want. Do not make Christian freedom. Do not use it to legitimize your sin. Another example is this. I've I've interacted with individuals who have told me, look, I can spend my money however I please. And don't you tell me otherwise. I've quoted Ephesians 5.28, labor, doing honest work with your own hands so that you may have something to share with anyone in want. Uh, Yes, we are free. We are free to obey God's word. And if I think I can just dismiss that verse and I'm free to do whatever I want with those things God has given to me, well, then I am guilty of violating Paul's command in the 13th verse, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. I've engaged with individuals who said, look, me losing my temper is my business. It's just my personality. Or I always love this one. It's the way God made me. Oh, that just covers a multitude of sins right there, doesn't it? It's the way God made me. It's the way I'm wired. No, my friend, you don't have to be that way. You don't. And yet uh, they will use Christian liberty to hide, to mask their sin. And I'll go to Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. A couple more examples. I've engaged with a young person recently who spends countless hours and hours on social media and virtual reality. And again, uh, just a kind, tender rebuke. And the response, well, you're a legalist. And my response, well, you're a libertine. Because here is what Scripture says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Oh, but this tendency, this propensity on the behalf of all of us, to justify and legitimize our sin, doing what we want to do and doing so on the basis of Christian freedom, hiding behind Christian liberty, all the while violating this explicit command from God's word, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. I'll give you one more example, perhaps even a little more controversial the number of people I've engaged in who have assured me that they are free to watch whatever they want to watch. I'm free to watch whatever I want to watch. As a matter of fact, I, this, this, uh, I was reading a little bit of Kevin Day Young a month or two ago. You know, I, um, I'm not very culturally hip or cool. You've probably noticed that by now. And, and I don't know all that's going on out there, but Kevin Day Young wrote, wrote a bit of an article about a TV show called Game of Thrones. I don't know if you've heard about it. And, and um, Kevin Day Young was getting pretty livid here in his post because of the number of professing conservative Christians watching this. Turns out, I don't know for certain, turns out the show is basically soft porn. Basically is what it is, soft, a version of soft porn. And, um, and yet the number of Christians, when, even in his own congregation, as he sort of, maybe you need to think about this, come at it from a different angle, who would then dismiss him as a, As a legalist. And yet what does Paul tell us? Sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you. As is proper among saints. Let alone turning it into a form of entertainment. Right? Uh, do Do we turn our Christian freedom, our Christian liberty. Do we turn it into an opportunity for the flesh? An excuse to sin, to justify, and again, to legitimize me doing whatever I jolly well please. If so, then we have completely misunderstood the nature of Christian freedom. Christian liberty is not a license to sin. Christian liberty is not a, an open door to me, just let my follow my heart and the dictates of my heart, Christian liberty, Christian freedom does not mean, look, it's just wide open, I can do as I please, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And dismiss anyone who challenges me on these things as a, as a legalist. Um, no, uh, Christian freedom is far more involved in, than that, far deeper than that. It's possible I've already offended someone this morning. That's possible, I suppose. And, and you may be thinking to yourself, well, Stephen, you're... You know, maybe, maybe you fit into one of these categories and you are thinking to yourself, well, Stephen, you are, you really are just a legalist, a raving legalist. And my response to you, friend, is this you're a raving libertine. You're a raving libertine. Here is the text. Here is the word of God. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use it as an excuse to justify. Sin, to justify and legitimize doing whatever I feel like doing. Freedom is not the liberty to do what I want. Number two, freedom, second truth, is denying the flesh. Again, that commandment, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What's the flesh? Journey back with me. We're way back in the Garden of Eden, pre-fall. And there stand Adam and Eve as created in the very image of God. And there we see their sin. We see their rebellion. And as a consequence of their sin, the fall of the entire human race, humanity. And the fall of Adam and Eve from that original state in which God created them, and the loss, the corruption of the image of God in them. And as a result, you know, Paul testifies to this, for example, in Ephesians 4, Romans 3, plenty of passages of Scripture. As a result, man's mind was then what? Darkened, whereby he no longer understood spiritual truth. His heart or the affections and desires of his heart were corrupted, whereby he became self-absorbed. Completely preoccupied with his self-love rather than love for God. And as a result, his will, his ability to choose became enslaved to his darkened mind and his hardened heart. That, my friend, is the flesh. The flesh. It is why the Lord Jesus proclaimed to Nicodemus, you must, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Why? Because of the flesh. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, and you must be born again. Oh, this past week, R.C. Sproul passed away, right? I don't think we can get through today without saying something about R.C. Sproul passing away. I mean, time will tell, but should the Lord tarry, if the Lord be not come, a hundred years, 200 years, I think those generations will look back on our days, and the name R.C. Sproul is still one that will be on the lips of men and women, believers. Because of the way in which God used him this side of the Atlantic when it comes to the restoration of Reformed Reformation theology and thinking. And as I was reflecting on R.C. Sproul this past week, I recalled something he penned years ago. Here it is. God just doesn't throw a life preserver to a drowning man. It's often how we explain the gospel. Well, there you are, an unbeliever bobbing up and down in in the sea, in the tempest. And the life preserver is thrown to you. And all you must do is reach out and grab it. You've been there, haven't you? We've all heard that. Sproul says, God just doesn't throw a life preserver to a drowning man. God goes to the bottom of the sea. And he pulls up a corpse from the bottom of the sea. And he takes him up on the bank of the sea. And he breathes into him the breath of life. And he makes him alive. That is what it means to be born again because of the flesh and the flesh is at enmity with God. And apart from God's sovereign grace, we will not, we would never would choose God if given a billion years in which to do so. Because by nature, because of the flesh, we are haters of God. Oh, you must be born again. Oh, the flesh has complete control on us, a darkened mind, a hardened heart, and an enslaved will. But the new birth is what? It is the entrance of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God whereby he begins to illuminate a darkened, depraved mind, and he begins to soften a hardened heart whereby we desire what we never desired before. We love what we never loved before. And he frees the will to choose freely. That is the new birth. But as Christians understand this, we are born again, but we are only renewed in part. We are only renewed in part. The flesh remains. Paul makes that clear in Romans 7. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh and the holy spirit wages war against the flesh and the flesh wages war against the holy spirit and that is our predicament this side of glory and Paul's point is what yes you are free praise god you are free don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh no my friend you must walk by the spirit you must keep in step with the spirit and you must deny the flesh And because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, we possess the freedom. Here is Christian freedom. True Christian liberty. I now possess the freedom not to do what I want to do. That's Christian freedom. That by virtue of the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, I am actually now free to deny myself. I am actually now free to put to death my self-love. And I am actually now free to do what? Obey the God who loved me and saved me. Freedom is denying the flesh. Here's the third truth. Freedom is serving the church. Take verse 13 again right from the start. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. Serve one another. Because you see, again, the flesh is what? It is that propensity within me. It is that inclination within me toward self-love, self-ambition, selfishness. As a result of that darkened mind, hardened heart, enslaved will, it means my inclination, my natural propensity, I am drawn repeatedly in all that I do, whether good or bad, it's inconsequential. I am drawn in all that I do. I am motivated in all that I do by self-love. But as a result of the new birth, there is now a new principle implanted within me, and it is love for God. And so my freedom, now that I am free, I don't use it as an opportunity to satisfy my self-love. I now use it as an opportunity to do what? Express my love for God. And my love for God how? We read it right at the end of the 13th verse. By loving and serving one another. This is true Christian freedom. It is this liberty to actually forget about ourselves and give ourselves away in selfless service. It is marked by affection, tenderness, spontaneous giving, a willingness to help, a readiness to forgive. It is marked. It means that we are always governed by this question, this overarching question. As I make choices in my life, And especially as I make choices as they pertain to the local church, the fundamental question is this, who am I trying to please? Am I seeking to please myself? That is the flesh. Or am I no longer giving, using my freedom as an opportunity to the flesh, but I am now through love serving one another? So here's some very simple questions. Am I going to worship with God's people? I'm I'm free to go or not to go, aren't I? Am I going to worship with God's people? Am I going to show up on time? It's a good question. Am I going to get involved in a care group? Am I going to give financially? Am I going to volunteer for extended sessions? Am I going to serve and minister in some way that actually inconveniences me? Am I going to attend a member's meeting? I face these questions all the time, don't I? Guess what? You face these questions all the time as well. And our answer to those questions must actually be based on our answer to a far more basic, far more fundamental question, and it is this. As I view the local church, am I making these decisions, and am, am I engaging with the people of God on the basis of what's in it for me or on the basis of what's in it for them? Am I engaging on the basis of how this serves me or how this serves them? I am engaging and involving myself on the basis of how does this help me, suit me, better me, or how it helps, suits, betters others. Bottom line, am I motivated by the flesh, my self-love, and my answers to those questions are based on the flesh? Or are my answers to those questions based on Christian freedom and liberty? That now I am actually free, and I'm no longer governed by this principle of self-love, but I'm governed by this principle of love for God. And love for God is seen in love for God's people. And love for God's people is seen in service. And therefore, my attitude toward, my engagement in, my involvement with, oh, it is the most fundamental, basic question, is it not? Am I seeking to please myself or striving to please others? My friends, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Well, I'll go if I feel like it. I'll get involved if I feel like it. I'll give if I feel like it. You're breaking this command. You're using freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. No, through love, serve one another. Here's the fourth truth concerning Christian freedom. It is fulfilling the law. The 14th verse. For the whole law, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Again, Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law, you take, for example, just the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. Here they are again. Perhaps it's been a while since you've heard them or considered them. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. The law is fulfilled in this one command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does it mean for me to love? Brian is sitting right there. Love Brian as myself. It means I go back to these commandments and I realize I I shall have no other gods before me. I shall not make for myself a carved image. I shall not take the name of the Lord my God in vain. I will seek by the Spirit's help, however imperfectly, but sincerely. I will seek to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And my love for God will be given legs. It will be worked out in practical everyday life in my love for others, my love for Brian, my love for my neighbor. And what will that look like? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. I will seek to obey God not because I'm a legalist seeking to earn his favor or thinking I'm scoring brownie points or thinking in some way I am paying my way to heaven. No, 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 no. The law has already driven to me to the cross. The law has already sent me to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness. And I am clinging to the cross alone as my only hope. And I know on that day yet future, the only reason I will enter God's presence is because I will be clothed with the robes of the righteousness of Christ. But having been born again, I now love him. And I hear him say to me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not to earn my favor. Not to score points. Not because eternity is in the balance. No, you will do it simply because you love me. And my love for him will be expressed in my love for his people. And my love for his people will be expressed in my adherence to his commands. And my willingness to love my neighbor as myself. And guess what? I want to be respected. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. Which means what? I will respect others. I I want help occasionally. I need help. Which means what? Well, I'm gonna love others as myself. I will be willing to help and I will be engaged in assisting others. I want compassion and I want people to be merciful toward me. And therefore, I love others as I love myself and I am merciful and compassionate in my dealings with them. There are times where I get lonely and I want someone to come alongside me. Well, guess what that means? It means I start looking for others who are lonely. And I come alongside them. There are times where I'm upset or something has got me down and I need to be lifted up. Therefore, I look for those who are weary, those who are downcast, those who are depressed, those who are discouraged, and I love them as I love myself, seeking what I want for me and therefore to be the instrument to lift them up. There are times I'm vulnerable and I'm looking for protection. And so I love others by offering protection. And I do all of these things with the same zeal and enthusiasm. I would do them for myself. That's Christian freedom. That's Christian liberty. It is not the liberty to do what I want. It is denying the flesh, that basic principle of self-love. It is serving the church. It is fulfilling the law. And fifthly. It is keeping the peace, 15th verse. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He's literally conjuring up a mental image here. And the mental image is of wild beasts going at each other. So if you like the National Geographic shows, the nature programs, I watched one the week before last. I had to turn it off after a while. It was a a lion and a pack of hyenas. Oh, and the biting, the devouring one another, the consuming one another. That is the mental image. That is the word picture that Paul is employing here in the 15th verse. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Because you see, my friends, those who aren't free in Christ, those who they, they may think they're free in Christ but those who aren't really free in Christ those in whom the flesh self-love still reigns still governs they will be characterized by biting and devouring they will be marked by discontent resentfulness pride a judgmental attitude an agitated disposition because the flesh is the governing principle and the basic operating system is still what? Self-love. And that desire, that desire for the selfish ambition, the elevation of self is expressed then in relationship to others in this biting and devouring. But those who are free in Christ, Those in whom the Spirit of God is working, those who are daily denying the flesh and seeking to love God, love neighbor, serve neighbor, they are free in Christ and therefore abounding in His mercy. And they are marked by compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You didn't realize there was that much to Christian freedom, did you? I'm guessing a good number of us, if we'd taken a survey when we'd begun this morning, I'm guessing a good number of us would simply have thought, yeah, we're free from the law and I'm just sort of the Spirit's guiding me and I'm free to do whatever as long as it isn't too heinous. I'm free, free from the consequences of sin, free from guilt and free from judgment. No, no, my friends, it is far more involved than that. It is a denial of the flesh. It is service for God's people. It is the very fulfillment of the law. And by nature, it is the keeping of the peace. Three people I want to address as we wrap it up this morning, by way of conclusion, three people I want to address uh, directly, speak to directly. And uh, the first point I want to make, the first group of people that might very well be here, the unbeliever, I want you to hear this and hear it clearly, hear it directly from my lips. Uh, We are enslaved as humans. We are enslaved until Christ frees us. That is the predicament of every human being. It is such a funny age in which we live. It has been for some decades now really, I suppose, began or at least got swinging in the 60s, just this, this cry of freedom, freedom, freedom to do whatever I want. And yet, have we ever witnessed in the history of humanity such a society imprisoned to its freedom? I don't think we have. The very society in which we live, men and women are prisoners of their freedom. And what is done in the name of liberty? And what is pursued in the name of freedom? Oh, the consequences of this false mindset paradigm are readily apparent wherever we care to look. No, the basic predicament starting point for every human being is this. We are enslaved. We are not free. We are enslaved. And our very enslavement is what? It is this desire to do. Exactly what we want. That is our enslavement. Oh, but freedom when Christ frees us. Again, appealing to R.C. Spool, freedom. When Christ lifts that sinner from the bottom of the sea, raises him up, takes him to the shore, breathes into him new life and imparts the Spirit of God. Whereby we come alive. And I want to speak very plainly to you this morning. If you are not a Christian. And I say this. I trust kindly and lovingly and tenderly. But I do want you to understand yourself. Who you are in the sight of God. You are enslaved to your sin. Enslaved to your sin. And being enslaved to your sin. You are under God's curse. And being under God's curse. There is absolutely no hope, no help, no assistance in this world. There is nothing that can lift you out of that condition. Nothing in your own strength. It is Christ alone who can set you free. It is Christ alone who has atoned for sin upon Calvary's cross. And it is Christ alone, a risen, exalted, glorified Savior, who sends forth the Spirit of God into the hearts of men and women, infusing life where there is nothing but death. Second group I want to speak to is this. Christians, professing Christians, and perhaps you are still dabbling in that spirit of legalism. Go back one last time to the first verse. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Oh, just a heartfelt reminder this day of who you are in the Lord Jesus. An appeal to your standing in Christ. And a reminder of these two truths. Again, as clear as I can possibly state them. That at one time, yes, you were under a curse. But the Lord Jesus has borne that curse in full upon the cross. And yes, at one time, you were obligated to obey the law perfectly and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In your own strength, you were unable to do that. Fell short of that each and every day. And you can never do that. But the Lord Jesus has fulfilled the law on behalf of sinners. And the Lord Jesus has obeyed perfectly. Maybe you need that reminder, that little shot in the arm. And understand that when it comes to your relationship with Christ and your walk with the Lord, the starting point, the end point, and everything in between is the grace of God. And it is your standing in Christ. The third group I want to speak to finally, the one or two who might be here, who by definition, you might not want to wear this, Term You might not want to claim this term, but I'm going to use it nevertheless because it might very well apply to you. You are nothing short of a libertine. And that has been your thinking perhaps for some time, weeks, months, years. That has marked your Christian journey. And perhaps you're thinking to yourself, boy, I wonder why I never get anywhere in my walk. I think I just told you perhaps, friend. I wonder why there's never any growth. I wonder why it's just always just the same, 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 same thing, same struggles, same predicament, just there, there, there I am in the muck and the mire constantly. There there may be a number of variables, but let me just suggest to you, friend, if that is you, it might very well be the fact that you are using freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And rather than walking by the Spirit, you are walking for the flesh, ergo, your current predicament. Oh, well, my exhortation to you is taken from the Apostle Paul. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Summed up in the great words of that hymn, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and did whatever I wanted. I rose, went forth, and I followed thee. I did not use Christian freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but as an expression of love, my love for God in serving the people of God. Our Father, we pray now that you might take your word and plant it deep within. And again, give us minds to comprehend it, all that we have pondered this day. Give us hearts to receive it, to delight in it to love it and give us wills that we might actually obey and put it into practice and understand who and what we are in Christ and seek to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in Him. We ask it for your glory and we seek it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.